As you came in, you may have received a handout that has an outline on it. You might keep that handout handy, but it will come in useful here in just a few moments. There's also a response card on the Acts 1-8 offering card that gives you an opportunity to request prayers as well as make a commitment to Christ. In just a few minutes, we'll give you a chance to fill those cards out, so you might keep that one nearby as well. You know, nine-year-olds <clears throat> take the Christmas gift exchange business very seriously. Or at least we did in Mrs. Griffin's fourth grade class. The day of the annual Christmas gift exchange to us ranks more important than the presidential election or the NFL draft or 4th of July. We knew the procedure well. On the day prior to Thanksgiving break, Mrs. Griffin would take everyone's name and write each name on a separate sheet of paper. And she would put each piece of paper in a hat. And then one by one, we were given the opportunity to walk up to Mrs. Griffin's desk and select a name. And that name would be the name of the person for whom we would purchase a gift that would be given at the Christmas party on the day before we left for Christmas break. Now, according to the rules of the Geneva Convention's Law of Gift Exchange, we were not allowed to tell anyone the name of the person for whom we were shopping. We had to keep that quiet. But we could tell everyone what we were wanting. As a result, hint dropping was rampant. We dropped more hints than the Minnesota sky drops snow in December. I wanted everybody in the class to know what I wanted for Christmas because I didn't know who had my name. So I made certain that all 12 students in Mrs. Griffin's fourth grade class knew that I wanted a six finger. <clears throat> a six finger. We knew the quote. We knew the motto. We knew the advertising slogan. Six finger, six finger, man alive. You can have six fingers. Don't settle for five. The six finger was more than a toy, yes sirree, Bob. The six finger would sit here right in the trough of your hand and turn your hand into a James Bond caliber weapon. You see, within the six finger was a missile launcher, a pop gun a water gun, an SOS signal sender, a decoder, and hang on to your hat, an ink pen. <laughs> Who could live without a six finger? I knew I couldn't, so I made certain that all the classmates knew that I wanted a six finger for Christmas. Carol was not listening. 
Little Carol with the pigtails. Little Carol with the red dress. Little Carol with the black shoes. Little Carol who always sat on the front row and volunteered to do math problems in front of the class. Don't let her sweet demeanor fool you. She broke my heart. <laughs> For on the day that we opened the gifts in the great gift exchange, she gave me a gift. I unwrapped it. I opened the box, almost salivating to reach in and pull out my six finger. And do you know what I found in the box? Stationary. Stationary. You heard me correctly. Stationary. Brown envelopes with folded note cards and a picture of cowboys and Hopalong Cassidy. And what does a nine year old boy do with stationary? He doesn't even know what to do with it. Well, now, all these many years later, I know exactly what to call that gift. That was what we call an obligatory gift. One of those gifts that happens when we forget that we have to get a gift. One of those, oops, I'm supposed to take a gift to the party gifts. That was an obligatory gift. I can now, these years later, envision exactly what happened on that fateful morning that led to that tragic, tragic party. I can envision young Carol sitting at the table, eating her breakfast, and her mother asks her, Carol, isn't today the day of the fourth grade Christmas party? Are you not supposed to take a gift? Carol drops her spoon in her Rice Krispies. She says, oh, Mom, I forgot. I'm supposed to bring a gift for Max. For whom? For Max, my handsome classmate. <laughs> who excels at every discipline and athletic endeavor and is quite humble. I'm supposed to bring a gift for Max. You're just now telling me this, Carol's mother said. Carol said, do not be dismayed, my mother. I know exactly what Max wants. He dropped hints all week long. He wants a six finger. She said, a prosthetic? mother. Max wants a six-finger toy. Six-finger, six-finger. Men alive. You can have six fingers. Don't settle for five. And Carol's mother said, well, he can forget that. And she went over to the closet. And she opened the door. And she began looking for those gifts that we use to re-gift. She thought about the paisley socks that her husband doesn't like. She thought about a candle that's shaped like a dinosaur. She considered giving a gift of 
big pens. And then she saw the stationery. I can just see this in my mind. And in my imagination, I can see Carol, to her credit, rushing to her mother, saying, No, mother, not the stationery, not the stationery. We can't give Max an obligatory gift of stationery. No, no. Don't you know what he will do? 46 years from now? <laughs> he will get even with you. In a Christmas Eve sermon. He will lump you in with Scrooge the hotel guy who turned Jesus and Mary out into the cold. Don't do it. To which Carol's mom responded, Ball humbug. <laughs> Give him the stationery. That kid's going to end up in prison anyway. <laughs> He'll need to be writing letters. And so it was that I took stationery home that day. Anybody want to guess what I did with that stationery? Same thing you did with the fruitcake. Same thing you did with the hand lotion that came from the funeral home. Same thing you did with the calendar that the insurance agent gave you. Same thing you did. I kept it until the fifth grade Christmas party and I wrapped it up and I gave it away. Sometimes we just suspect that though somebody says, here is a present for you, it could easily be for any of the other four billion people on the face of the earth. When you open a present and it's a bar of soap from the Hampton Inn, you suspect that it's not a personal gift. But then every so often, you receive that personal gift. Every so often you receive something that somebody made just for you or thought of you when they prepared it or pursued it. A, 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 a painting or a poem or, or a Locato book. Those perfect gifts <laughs> that you know they had in mind and they hand it to you and when they say this is for you, you believe them. Have you ever received a gift like that? Yes, you have. You have, because I've read about it. I read about it in the Gospel of Luke. This, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. An angel spoke those words. Shepherds heard them first. But what the angel said to them, God says right now to anyone who will listen. Look at this. There has been born for you for you. God pondered, God planned, God selected, and God wrapped in human flesh the perfect gift. And what is the gift? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, Christ, Lord. You need all three. You need a Lord to lead you. From the earliest days of the church, Jesus Christ has been called Lord. In fact, most scholars believe that a passage in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, is actually a hymn 
that was sung by the early church. If that is true, then the early worshipers declared, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which, above, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now the New Testament was written in the Greek language and the Greek language has two words for Lord. One of those words is despotes. It's the same word from which we get the word despot. It refers to an unruly, unsavory, usurping type of Lord. One who does not deserve to be Lord but demands that people serve him. This is not the word that's used ever to describe Jesus. The word that's used to describe Jesus as Lord is the Greek word kyrios. And it means the rightful ruler of a dominion. The rightful ruler of the dominion. And so when the angel says, there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the reference is to the rightful ruler of the dominion. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over every star, Lord over every sphere, Lord over every galaxy, Lord over legislators, Lord over liberators, Lord over lot bearers, Lord over laborers. He bears the signet of the highest office, and he wears the insignia, Lord of all, Lord of both the dead and the living, head over every authority. For Christmas, God gave you what you needed, and that is the Lord to lead you. You see, Congress doesn't lead the world. <laughs> the Lord does. The economy does not control your future. The Lord Jesus does. The cancer in your body will not determine your fate. The Lord Jesus will. The grave does not control you. The Lord Jesus does. You have what you need, my friend. You have a Lord to lead you and you have a Christ you have a Christ to come for you what is a Christ well in the New Testament a Christ is a king in fact if you take the word Christ in English and you add the two words en you have the word christen and that tells you what this word is Christ is christened or recognized as the king of the world but in the New Testament the idea of Christ carries with it not just a king who sits on a throne but a king who comes a coming king with a coming kingdom on the day of his crucifixion Jesus was asked by his enemies are you the Christ the son of the blessed one I am said Jesus and then he said this and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. What does a king do? The Christ sits and then he comes. We have a coming king. We have a Christ who is coming for his people. Christ will come for us. He will come for us. He will come for us because he is creating a new kingdom, a new heaven, and a new earth. 
He is coming for us because he wants to bring into that kingdom anyone who wants to be a citizen of that kingdom, regardless of your gender, regardless of your skin color, regardless of where you were born, regardless of your economic level. He invites all people to be a part of that new kingdom. He invites you. He invites me. Now that may not be good news for you. You may not want to be a part of a new kingdom. You may like life just as it is. Maybe you've made it all the way through your life without any fear, without any funerals, without any heartaches, without any heartbreaks, without any death, without any disease, without any debt. But I have a hunch you have not. And I have a hunch that you, along with everyone else in this world, has looked to the heavens and said, there's got to be more to life than this. To which Jesus says, there is. There is a new kingdom that is coming. There is a new kingdom that is coming. And on those times in which life is very difficult, we have hope in the kingdom that comes. Sometimes, folks, this life just gets tough. And Decembers can be especially tough. Because they can remind us not of what we have, but of what we've lost. And I'm looking right now into the faces of people who have lost much. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost a friend. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost your way. Maybe you've lost your hope. Every so often we look up and we think, you know, I think I'm losing more in life than I'm gaining. I'm getting farther behind than I'm moving ahead. Every so often we look up and we think, you know, this life is just not headed anywhere. In fact, we end up the way we started out. Have you noticed? We start out, we cannot feed ourselves. We cannot bathe ourselves. We cannot clothe ourselves. But then as the months turn into years, we learn how to feed ourselves, how to stand up, how to walk, how to make a living, how to get married and have children, have a future, have a career. And then at some point we realize we're headed back down again. We're starting to lose again. The children move out, we get old, we start getting tired, we start losing our memory, losing our strength, losing our hair. Seems like we lose more than we gain. And at some point, at some point, that sobering discovery dawns upon us. We're going to end up exactly the way we started. Or somebody has to clean us and feed us and bathe us and clothe us. And friends, that is a very depressing discovery if you think that's all life is. If you think all life is, is this cycle where we end up the way we start out. I'm with you. That's bad news. But the good news of Jesus Christ is, no, that is wrong. He says, I am the coming king. And I am coming into this world. And I am going to take you into the world that is to come. And these days on life, on earth, be they ever tragic and brief, are just the first note, the first note in Handel's great Messiah. They're just one speck of sand in the all eternal stretching beaches of God's eternity. This life is short. It does not last forever. But in this life, 
we do decide where we will spend forever. Either with God or without Him. And He's giving you this invitation to spend forever with Him. This is no obligatory gift. This is no knee-jerk, last-minute invitation. Far from it. He says, receive the kingdom that God has prepared for you since when? Since the world was made. He says, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. You see, in Jesus, you have a Lord to lead you. You have a Christ who is coming for you and one more. You have a Savior to save you. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When Dean and I had our first baby, we realized that the rest of the world had been shortchanged because we had been given the perfect baby. I mean, Jenna was just perfect. She raised the standard of cuteness and cuddletivity. I sent her picture to Baby Magazine and told them they could put her picture on the cover. I never got a reply. But I was convinced that we had the perfect baby. But after a few months, we began to question her royalty. I don't know how to say this except to say that she began to act like her mother's side of the family. <laughs> Whenever we would give her instructions, she would infrequently, on rare occasions, but she would occasionally say, no. I thought, where did that come from? Where did that come from? And we discovered that within this precious baby, there was embedded a defiant, independent streak that she would say no to her parents. And guess what? That defiant, independent streak did not disappear with her diapers. And neither did yours. You were born with this defiance, this, this independence. So much so that there have been, check me on this, but there have been times in your life in which you knew what your heavenly father wanted you to do. And you know what you said to him? No. No. He said, forgive your enemy. He said, no. He said, love your neighbor. And you said, no. He said, keep your promise. No. You have, I have within me just this defiance, this, this independence, this stubbornness. You know what the Bible calls that? Anyone? Sin. Sin. And the reason this is a big issue in the Bible is because heaven is a place for sinless people. The reason heaven is heavenly is because there are no no's in heaven. There's still independence, mind you. There's still 
clear thinking, free thinking, mind you, but that we have all agreed there's only one king, only one Lord, only one Christ. And I'm not that person, and you're not that person. That's what makes heaven heavenly. What makes this earth difficult is that many of us think we know more than God does. So we tell him no. If heaven is a place where yes is said in heaven, what in the world is God going to do with we who have spent much of our lives saying no to God? Can he just pretend that we've never sinned? Can he just gloss over our sin? He could, but he wouldn't be a just God. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be right. So what does he do? Here's what he does. He gives us a Savior. Not a way to save ourselves, but he gives us someone to save us. Deanland and I did not have a perfect child, as my parents did not, as no parents have. But Joseph and Mary did. Joseph and Mary had the perfect child, Jesus Christ. He never said no to God. Never. The Bible says that he never sinned. Consequently, he was then the perfect sacrifice for imperfect people. And when he died on the cross, he died not for his sins, but for ours. Does that make sense? He came to take our place. He came as our Savior. He comes in like a life saver. He comes in and he saves us. He comes in to rescue us, to save us. And that's the gift that God gives you.